0: Midtown Detroit Studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. If you watch television or listen to commercial radio all these days, you have heard the way over the top political ads that flow nonstop. Ads have always been part of political campaigns, but it does seem there are more negative ads and more making really outlandish claims than ever before. We're going to talk today about how political ads are changing and how we should figure them into the calculus of campaigns and voting. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm really glad you have tuned in. Just seven days left before the 2022 midterm elections. And if you turn on the TV or listen to commercial radio, you know how hot our politics are right now. As the temperature has raised on those politics, it has reflected itself, I think, in the ads that we see and hear. Part of that is because so much is at stake, at least in people's minds, during these elections. If one side wins, the other side thinks it's a huge, huge loss. And so ads for both parties have increasingly painted the other side as extreme or crazy or really out of touch with, quote, mainstream citizens. And again, we see so much of this these days, and it certainly seems like more than in days past, the tone of these ads is really over the top. People make really outlandish claims about their opponents. People say awful things about their opponents, whether they are true or, in some cases, just not true at all. And increasingly, what we see are people not talking about why they or their favored candidate should win on election day. Everyone wants to talk about how bad the other person is, the negative ads are really, really over the top right now. But my instincts could be wrong, I guess. Maybe this is always the way it has been. Maybe since the beginning of the Republic, when we had ads in newspapers and leaflets, this has just been what our politics are about. And maybe it's just the platforms that we have now, television, internet, 24-hour cable news that makes it possible for all of this to seem more over the top than it was before. But one thing's clear for all of us. We will just be swimming in this stuff for the next seven days, and we have been swimming in it, especially here in Michigan, for several months now. That's where we want to start the discussion today. What are The values of these political ads. Why are there so many of them? Why are so many of them so negative? And how should we be accounting for them in the decision making that we're doing in the run up to an election? Michael Franz is a professor of government and legal studies at Bowdoin College who studies political ads. We have invited him here onto the program to talk about how political ads have changed over time in this country, whether they are getting more extreme or aggressive in their rhetoric, and if they are less accurate than they have been in the past. Professor Franz, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah. So let's start here. Uh, As I said in the open, you can't turn on the TV right now uh, or listen to commercial radio without hearing or seeing these ads. And they are uh, overwhelmingly, at least here in Michigan, I think it's fair to say, uh, they are overwhelmingly negative ads. I, I don't see a lot of ads from candidates saying, hey, here's what I'll do if I'm elected. Here's why you should support me. Here's why my ideas are really great. Uh, these are ads run primarily by third parties, uh, uh, you know, uh, third-party interests, tearing down one candidate or another, or telling you not to vote in favor uh, of a refer of a referendum. So, is it me, or is this different than what we have seen? Both in the recent past and uh, in in our entire political history, is this combativeness, this aggressiveness, getting worse in political ads?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and I, I think it it is the case that we're seeing uh, negative advertising <clears throat> at a higher rate than uh, than we've seen in in previous uh, previous cycles. Uh, in your intro, you alluded to the the notion that. Um, it's possible that our, our politics have always been somewhat negative, and that is true. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the Republic, there was a lot of, of, of pretty um, uh, you know, aggressive attacks on uh, early early political leaders in the, in the new Republic. Um, and so there's always been this feature of, of democratic politics in the United States, But in the United States, in recent cycles, we've also seen uh, polarization really take root and uh, divide the two parties apart. And this creates, as you noted, incredibly important stakes for both sides in the outcome of of close elections. And it leads to a lot of then um, attacks on the opposition. Uh, The other thing that's really important is the, the rise of these outside groups which are very aggressive in congressional uh, and gubernatorial and other competitive races. And they don't really do, as you know, any positive advertising. They spend almost all of their money uh, tearing down candidates. And so as these groups have become more involved in elections, they have contributed to an increasing levels of negativity.
0: Mm. And, and let's back up a little and talk about these third-party Interests and the money that they are able to raise and the way they are allowed to spend it, that has changed for sure in um, in recent years as a result of the Supreme Court's ruling in in Citizens United. We really are looking at a very different playing field in elections uh, anymore. It's not just uh, the two candidates or the for or against side of an issue, you have entire cottage industries of uh, of third-party interests that raise uh, huge volumes of money and spend them uh, spend that money on these races, and and it's essentially like uh, they're a third they're another player on on the field. Sometimes they're spending more than the candidates themselves.
1: Yes, it's absolutely true. And the other thing about this that's that's uh, very interesting in terms of, of following these patterns is that many of these groups are not transparent about their their funding, and they end up sounding like uh, really potentially pro-citizen or you know, good government groups or uh, groups advocating for common sense. Uh, but they're also front organizations for, uh, for other n- national interests, uh, for, uh, for either for unions or for pro- pro-business interests. And in, in some cases, even the biggest outside groups are really just um, the political parties spending money through these outside organizations, um, not directly the political parties, but essentially party leaders um, uh, form these super PACs Raise money outside of the of the fundraising um, limits at the federal level and spend unlimited amounts in these close races. And so, when you oftentimes see an ad from a, a group like Senate Leadership Fund or House Majority PAC, I mean, they're really under they should be understood really as ads from Republican and Democratic party interests, uh, but they're 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 um, uh, they're shrouded in these 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 front organizations. And so, it's. It's a little bit difficult in competitive races for voters to, to really sort through who these groups are because there are so many of them. And in some congressional and statewide races, you might see six to 10 different advertising sponsors, which is hugely different from what we saw just 10 or 15 years ago when it would be the candidates and maybe the party committees. But then they would obviously say in the tagline that the ad was sponsored by the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And so at least voters knew a little bit about uh, about um, uh, the underlying interests or goals of those of those ad sponsors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and let's talk about um, the, the way in which these third parties are, are playing an overly negative role in, in these campaigns. I don't see third party ads for candidates, uh, at least not here in Michigan this cycle what i well, see are, yeah. are 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 ads that say um you know the, the, the other side is dangerous or crazy or i mean it, it really over the top language trying to 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 tear down candidates not build them up
1: that's right and and i think what these groups think they can do is um that they can provide i think the, the sort of logic behind it is that, that they can provide some cover for candidates to, um, you know, if, they, if candidates want to air positive ads, um, you know, when they do, and they sometimes want to do that in order to tell their story or, or to, to at least sort of, sort of say that they're uh, airing positive ads, um, that they can do that knowing that the outside, supportive outside groups um, uh, will, will, will go on the attack against the opponent. So it gives them a little bit of freedom to, uh, to be positive or to maybe do some contrast ads of course, candidates still love to do negative advertising, and they do a lot of that. But I think the group's logic generally is: well, we'll do this; we'll say the worst, you know, we'll say the most incendiary things possible; we'll raise the, the doubts, you know, in all corners. And then candidates, you know, they have a little bit of freedom to take the high road a little bit, and then can, you know, they certainly can then claim the candidates, as they often do, that well, I have nothing to do with these groups; um, I don't control them; they're beyond my you know, uh, reach of influence and and so they get a little bit of um, protection uh, from the the most uh, uh, vitriolic attacks that these groups sponsor.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to of course play some ads um uh, during the conversation here because uh, I think uh, in some cases you can't believe it unless you actually hear it uh, because they really are they really are pretty pretty uh, over the top this year. Uh, I want to start with one from a group called Michigan Families United uh, and this is about our governor Gretchen Whitmer. Supposedly um, in favor of Tudor Dixon, who is, uh, who is her opponent. But let's take a listen to it.
2: Under Gretchen Whitmer, the radicals want a drag queen in every classroom, indoctrinating our children. Gretchen
3: Whitmer stands with radical activists pushing sex and gender theory. Our schools need to get back to basics, teach kids how to read, write, and do math.
2: Gretchen Whitmer stands with a radical activist pushing sex and gender theory on kids.
3: I think boys and girls are different. It's not just science; it's common sense.
2: Tudor Dixon, protecting
0: Michigan families. Uh, yeah. So Tudor Dixon protecting Michigan families, but you didn't say anything about, I guess, how she might protect Michigan <laughs> families so might. much as uh, they just took after uh, the, the the governor. Uh, just to be uh, uh, fair here, I'm, I don't want to paint it as the, as though only conservative groups are doing this to, to liberal politicians. I want to play another ad about um, Michigan Secretary of State Republican candidate Christina Karamo. This is paid for by iVote, i-e-m-i PAC. Uh, it is not authorized by any candidate, but it is about the Secretary of State's race.
3: In politics, there are Democrats, independents, Republicans, and then there's Christina Karamo, candidate for Secretary of State. Karamo has called abortion satanic and child sacrifice. She's warned of demonic possession from sex, spoke at a QAnon conspiracy event, and court documents allege that Karamo tried to intentionally crash a car with her whole family inside. Regardless of party, Karamo is dangerously unfit for office.
0: Dangerously unfit for office and the cuckoo clock uh, running in the background is, is the thing that I think stands out. Uh, the most in that ad. And, and both of these ads, of course, again, are from, from third parties, and they are, they are very simple in their, in their construct. The idea is, if you vote for this person, you are embracing somebody who is dangerous, not just somebody who you might not favor, but somebody who is a threat to, uh, to public safety, to education, to, to, to all these things. That, that, That is not new in politics, again, but uh, the tone and the frequency of this, these being the ads that we see all the time, that is, that is new.
1: Yes, I, I think that this, because the, uh, the stakes for both sides are so high, and they truly be- believe that, I mean, I think the, the, the entrepreneurs behind these groups, the candidates and the party leaders on both sides, are, are truly terrified of what will happen if the other side... Controls uh, the, the the sort of levers of power, and 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 so that that polarization that's happened among our leaders has resulted in um, serious serious beliefs on both sides that they need to do whatever it takes to prevent that other side from from taking office, and uh, you know, uh, and I'm talking here about through the electoral process. I mean, there's a whole another conversation we can have about um, you know, election deniers and, and, and um uh, January sixth. But I mean in terms of, of airing ads, uh the the way in which you're seeing these um very sharp attacks on on these candidates is reflected, I think, of 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 a serious concern by the these sponsors that it's it's just not good for America if if uh, if either side, you know, the other side wins. Um it's hard to to, to measure this over time because, you know, what it means to be uh, aggressive or or unfair is can be different in different different moments.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I do think it's fair to say that um you know the kinds of of attacks we're seeing in these ads have reached a new level of aggressiveness that um that we we didn't previously see uh even ten years ago, maybe twenty years ago, for sure. Um, and so it would take some some work to really dig into the sort of language behind these. But the, the examples you played reflect the kind of culture war politics that are out there today and the way in which both sides have really, um, uh, really fear what will happen um, if the other party uh, wins. And so I think that's one of the things that's driving this. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Michael Franz. He's a professor of government and legal studies at Bowdoin College. Uh, he looks at political ads in Our country, and that's what we're talking about, the political ads that we are seeing and hearing uh, at every possible break on television and on uh, commercial radio. Um, Seven days to go until the midterm elections, and I imagine that it will only get worse before we actually vote on November 8th. Uh, The airways will be jammed with these things. The question is, uh, what effect do these have on the process? What effect do they have On you, uh, as you're sitting and watching uh, television or listening to the radio, uh, what do you make of all the political ads that you see? Not just political ads paid for by candidates or someone who has sponsored a referendum, but by third-party interests who raise millions of dollars in order to get on the airwaves and, for the most part, attack uh, one side or the other. Um, Do you pay attention to these ads? Do you try to just screen it all out? And uh, if you do take it all in, tell me what effect it has on, on your decision making. Have you ever been swayed? To do one thing or another by a political ad. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's three one three five seven seven one oh one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put uh comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we can work you into the conversation that way. I want to read a couple of social media uh, comments uh, but, and then get to the phones Tobias says until Michigan overhauls its campaign finance laws and hopefully the fallout from the Lee chatfield debacle will help spur this overhaul uh, Michigan will be a cesspool of dark money and the negative ads will get worse there uh, Tobias is re- referring to the former Speaker of the House who finds himself imperiled uh, of something with something of a, a scandal involving um, involving dark money um, uh, Brian on uh, Twitter says, I thought it was more hardcore when I was a kid, actually. Uh, he points to a moveon.org anti-Bush ad. Uh, there, there, of course, is a history of, of negative ads uh, as well. Um, I want to go next to Ava in Berkeley. Ava, welcome to the, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, this is a really great topic because I, a part of me, feels like people really emotionally have their political views and are not very swayed by ads. Um, I want to make a comment and then definitely ask your guests to see, like, you know, since you've done that research, wh- how much people are actually swayed by certain ads. I feel like we're we're usually more swayed emotionally by things that are going to be taken away from us. Um, so Democrats should run these ads and talk about candidates they want to uh, take away right to abortion or pro-choice and all these things. And even in the sample ads that you played, Whitmer never said any of those things, but uh, Karamo did. Mm-hmm. So how Michelle Obama used to say, when they go low, we go high. And I honestly feel like Democrats play too nice sometimes and the attack ads aren't going to stop. People are swayed by, ne- by negative things and realizing, wow, these, these, are, these are things that are going to be taken away from you. That's not what you believe. Mm-hmm. And we need to put that out there when candidates like that will do that. You know? And so I, I honestly think we should put out like, you know, what these more conservative or Republican candidates think and what they're going to do. And if anyone's going to be swayed by that, for sure. But if not, then they probably had a really strong enough view. So I'll, I'll leave with that comment. And my question is really going to be like, what is the recent research to show that these ads really change people? I feel like it just kind of makes people believe like, yeah, that's what yeah. I believe.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I think the the, the confirmation bias that you're talking about, Ava, is a powerful uh, part of of all of this, and and I want to a little later get to some of the points you're making about the substantive differences between uh, not just the ads but also the campaigns. Uh, when you're talking about candidates who have done things or plan to do things that uh, would roll back people's, you know, civil rights or voting rights or uh, or things like that versus people who are trying to expand it. Uh, the, the, ads in some cases, the negative ads make it sound like, um, these are, these are choices between equals, uh, because they both paint, um, the candidates as, as quote dangerous. But, but first I do want to get Michael Franz to uh, answer your, your specific question mm-hmm. about the effectiveness of these ads and whether they actually play much of a role in people's decisions
1: well, it's it's such a great uh, set of comments uh, too, because it it taps into you know some things we know about the psychological uh, effects of information on people. And I'm talking here kind of generally. I mean, there's been research to suggest that absolutely people are more attentive and responsive to negative information versus positive information because it it activates a sort of surveillance system amongst the recipient of of information. We are also more responsive to emotional, information than we are to factual information. And we also know that um, uh, in the world of politics, uh, 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 emotional, emotionally-laden culture issues are more interesting to voters, and, and voters respond to those more aggressively than the sort of uh, uh, nuts and bolts of, of economic policymaking. And so all of those things sort of add up to suggest that these ads would be very effective when they're vitriolic, when they're emotion laden, when they're negative, and when they go after uh, culture war culture war policy matters. Uh, but what's so interesting about the research on political advertising specifically is is that the research suggests that ads don't have huge effects on voters. Um, now, part of this is because we come to all of this politics with our partisan. Thinking so mm-hmm. we're Democrats or Republicans and most of us are Democrats or Republicans um, at least or lean in one direction or another and and that really roots us in terms of what we think about politics and candidates and so even when we see these vitriolic emotion laden messages which should you know all else equal as information influence us um, we can reject them if it comes from the other side. Uh, It does confirm our prior views if it comes from our own side, and we end up sort of not moving all that much. Uh, And so candidates, you know, they are spending all of this money because if, because there might be in a coast race, three, four, five, six percent of voters that might be truly thought of as as swing voters. Maybe it's a little higher in some races, and in some races candidates aren't well known, and so then things can be a little bit more movable. But in really high-profile races where uh, partisanship has taken hold, uh, candidates are competing for a small share of the electorate uh, who are truly swing voters, and so most of these ads don't impact the rest of us. And and that's what's sort of interesting about this all of this money and all of this advertising, is uh, we're pretty effective as as consumers of these ads, at, um, at blunting their impact yeah. by counter-arguing it, or uh, dismissing it, or by just agreeing with it if we like the message, uh, and and we don't move all that much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we need to take a quick break And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation With Michael Franz of Bowdoin College We're also going to add Another voice, familiar voice To the conversation, Rick Pluto Who is the senior state correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network He has covered Michigan politics For a really long time He's going to join us to talk about His reaction to all the ads And all the negativity And we will continue to hear from you On the phones and on social 313 1019 is the number. You can go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we'll include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking about all the political ads that are on the airwaves right now with just seven days to go before the November 8th midterm elections, Uh, how many of those ads there are, but also the tone and absolute negativity uh, that that uh, soaks these ads. Uh, really nasty election cycle that uh, we're in the middle of. We've got two guests with us now. Michael Franz is a professor of government and legal studies at Bowdoin College, and he studies political ads. Also with us is Rick Pluta. He is a senior state correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. He has covered Michigan politics for a really long time. We're going to hear from him in a minute about uh, his reaction to all of this. We also want to hear from you. How are you taking all of this in? Are you paying attention to all of these ads? Uh, Have you you seen an ad this cycle here in Michigan that made you think differently or pause about the way you think about either an issue or a candidate? Uh, Or are you someone who's doing your best to screen all of this out. Uh, I will make an admission. Um, I recently upgraded to YouTube premium because that gets rid of the ads that you have to watch before you watch videos. And I do enough uh, watching of videos on YouTube that I got tired of all the political ads. I'm willing to pay just a little bit to, to keep it away from me. Are you somebody who is uh, is doing the same thing, trying to avoid... Uh, all of these political ads uh, give us a sense of uh, again w- how you make sense of all of this and what you think maybe we could do differently uh, to make some of it go away or or hew to a more uh, reasonable line In in many cases as always the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019 that's 313-577-1019 you can also go to twitter and hashtag detroit today and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Rick Pluta, as I said, you have uh, covered uh, the capital for more than thirty years. Um, this is my uh, this is my LP year, thirty three. <laughs> That's right, your Jesus year, which, uh, which only works say. for. Oh my god!
2: <laughs> <laughs> I prefer to uh, LP, but yeah. uh, which uh, only works for I think a certain segment of the uh, yeah, population. Right. But, <laughs> right. but I hear long playing records are coming back.
0: <laughs> they are. There are lots of young people who have record players and buying albums like uh, like we did when we were young, Rick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so tell me about. The ads, this cycle, how you're taking them in. Somebody who has seen these ads for a long time, like I said, I think they are more negative uh, and more outlandish in their claims than I can remember. But I'm really curious about uh, your sense of that.
2: Well, negative and outlandish has also become really normal. So um, you know, it's it's sort of hard to to sort them out. I mean, a, a wise person, you know, once said that you know if you're if you're watching a political ad, just assume it's not true. But you know, as the professor very smartly pointed out, is that you know the ads aren't really meant to persuade so much as to, you know, assert and, you know, give an idea as opposed to, uh, you know, deliver a set of facts. As a matter of fact, Steven, you would remember this, that, uh, you know, not that long ago, um, news organizations used to do things that were called ad watches, mm-hmm. where we would go through and confirm what was factual and not factual in a, uh, campaign ad. And I remember the, the, sometimes in the, in the nineties, I think, um, Uh, uh, a campaign manager said, I mean, we know that you guys put all this work into it, but we just laugh at it because we know it doesn't really make a difference. And what he was saying was that, uh, you know, there are other venues for, um, you know, candidates to give actual – information, you know, positive about themselves and negative about um, their, you know, their their adversaries than, you know, what you're seeing in short campaign ads on, uh, you know, on TV and what you hear on the radio now on the internet.
0: Yeah. Uh, what about the truthfulness of the ads this time? I played uh, two ads in the first segment, one claiming that uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer wants a drag queen in every classroom, a line that I'm still kind of scratching my head about. I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that. Um, And then another that, you know, claims things about Christina Caramo, the Republican candidate for secretary of state uh, that have to do with demonic possession and intentionally crashing a car with her whole family inside. I mean, are these claims uh, beyond the pale in a way that they haven't been in the past as well? Well, the one about Gretchen
2: Whitmer is um, verifiably inaccurate, that uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel um, in an awkward response to some to a complaint that schools were letting drag queens in to you know work with kids, um, said, you know, you know, she she was being facetious. She said, I think this is great. You know, drag queens are fun. We should have a drag queen in every school. And I, I remember the first time I heard that maybe you did too. I was like, Ooh, we know that's going to be used against her. Uh, and, and and it was. But what Republicans are doing now is trying to create sort of this halo argument that because Dana Nessel said it, then all Democrats must agree with it. And uh, Gretchen Whitmer has never said a word that I'm aware of about uh, drag queens in school, you know, for or against. Although both, you know, Dana Nessel and Gretchen Whitmer, you know, have complained that uh, you know these efforts to target um students in particular about things like gender identity are uh, are are you know pretty cold and harsh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, in the case of the Christina Caramo claim, I mean, we're aware of it. It sounds like there was a uh, a messy split there, but a lot of the facts are are still just not
0: known, yeah yeah uh michael Franz uh we've got a couple of questions about truthfulness and whether uh, media outlets have to run ads that aren't true uh, and what the responsibility is there uh to make sure that what you put on the air is is not false or 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 you know in some cases maybe even um Maybe even defamatory, um, can you talk some about the current environment and and what the responsibility for these media outlets looks like?
1: right, well it's it's a great question. Um, you know, candidates generally have some pretty wide latitude in in what, uh, in what they can they can say and, and what um, uh, broadcast stations uh, are able to do in in refusing to air or spot or put on the air uh ads from from candidates um, they certainly don't have to uh to to air an ad that um, is factually untrue uh but it's very hard to um, uh to refuse the space to candidates uh lest you appear to be picking one side uh or favoring one side uh and so broadcast stations tend to uh, tend to be pretty open in terms of what they accept um, it's also a business, and so they make uh, a fair amount of money by, um, by sponsoring or allowing these ads to be purchased on their TV stations or radio stations. Uh, the other wrinkle is, is, is just that um, uh, candidates and groups are fairly good at trying to walk that line over an absurd claim that can be verified by a fact checker or an ad watch as untrue, but also having enough in it to say, well – you know, if you think of the issue this way or that way, you know we're certainly not inventing a quote from this candidate as you as you just discussed in the example around uh, drag queens. Uh, and so it's not untrue. I mean this you know it, it, this did come up. and so there's a, a way for sponsors to sort of kind of argue that their message is um, you know true if you think of it this way or that way. And so that gets into some really tricky territory for how TV stations and radio stations, Ah, uh, handle the content that comes at them, and whether they have the capacity to to fact check all those messages, uh, reject certain ones outright, and then get into this sort of uh, uh, what would inevitably be uh, another round of of back and forth about the um, the role of the media in American politics today. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's a tough spot to be in um, for, but you know, uh, for for voters, surely who who end up seeing these ads and wonder how did this get on the air. Um uh but it's it's you know it's very rare for um, an ad sponsor to simply invent something completely out of thin air. They're usually basing it in something even if it's twisted beyond belief. Uh, but they can at least speak back to some sort of kernel at the beginning of the trail that gives them some cover.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, Give us a call. Let us know how you're taking in all these ads uh, as we are just seven days out from the midterm elections. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. Let's go to Bob in Crystal Falls up in the UP. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you. Go ahead.
1: Taking my call. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, he just kind of touched on what my point is, and and it is that media needs to have a code of ethics and they need to put greed aside and profits aside and say, this is not something we're going to air.
0: So, Bob, I, I hear you and and I don't disagree from the standpoint of democracy. But But I guess my question for you, Bob, is, what what would you draw as the line? How, and how would you draw that line? So, I mean, we, we live in a country where we strongly believe that people are entitled to their opinions. They're entitled to air their opinions and that uh, we don't make a decision about what's airable or uh, or shareable based on the, the, the content itself, right? We're, it's based on whether... Uh, something is, is, um, is false or, or not. So, but, but it sounds like you want to draw a different kind of line. And, and I guess I'd, I'd love to hear you articulate how you think media companies should, should formulate that line. What, 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 what is over the top for you, Bob, and, and unacceptable?
1: Well, there used to be a line between truth and lie. And it's not falsehood or a misspeak. It's a lie. And lies used to be bad things, and children were taught in school when I went to school that being a liar was a terrible thing. And if the media is not going to draw that line, then we might as well just give
0: up. Yeah. Okay, Bob, I I appreciate the call and and the sentiment, and I think there's a lot of people who probably feel exactly the way you do. Rick Pluta, um, Mm -hmm. talk about how we as— as media deal with these ads. Now, you and I are working in public media. It's really different uh, mm-hmm. in our shops. But we, of course, uh, know lots of people who have to struggle with this in, in commercial uh, enterprises. Uh, is is Bob right that we're just uh, money-grubbing here and not, not thinking?
2: Well, I mean, there there are, you know, certain responsibilities in terms of just, I mean, there's no fairness doctrine anymore, but there is an expectation of some version of equal time. And if you're in a position of just refusing all the ads from one candidate or from, you know, one ad placement agency, for example, then you're, you're creating a problem for yourself. And don't forget that, uh, you know, political speech in our jurisprudence is the most protected speech. You can't get away with anything, but you can get away with a lot more than, um, you know, what you would do in in any other uh, context. I, I'm just going to bring up a bit of history since, you know, we have a caller from the UP, but, mm-hmm. you know, there was that famous uh, instance of Teddy Roosevelt suing a newspaper in Ishpeming, mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't based on an ad. It was based on an editorial where the uh, editorial writer said that everybody knows that Teddy Roosevelt gets uh, habitually drunk <laughs> and Roosevelt got wind of it and uh, sued the editor uh, in in Marquette. And uh, the editor, once Roosevelt testified... Uh, basically back down Mm -hmm. and Teddy and and said like, nope, uh, I was obviously wrong. And uh, Teddy Roosevelt asked for only six cents in damages, which is what he said at the time was the
0: price of a good newspaper. (laughs) That's right. That's a great line. Uh, Okay, we're going to take another quick break. Bob, again, thanks very much for the call. Thanks for listening up there in Crystal Falls. Uh, When we come back, we are going to hear from somebody who is in the middle of all of this, somebody who is actually running for office this fall and has had uh, some struggles with uh, negative campaign ads. Uh, We'll also continue to hear from the rest of you on the phones and on social, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for listening. We are talking about political ads today, seven days before the midterm elections here in Michigan and all around the country. We've got two great guests with us. Uh, Michael Franz is professor of government and legal studies at Bowden College, and uh, Rick, Rick Pluta is the senior state correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio network uh, we want to hear from you uh, about how you're taking in all the ads what do you think the ads are overly negative or more negative than they have been in the past especially here in Michigan 3135771019 is the number here on the phones that's 3135771019 you can also go to twitter and hashtag us let's go to Caroline in uh, Bloomfield Hills Caroline welcome to the show
4: Thanks, Stephen Henderson. Oh, my gosh. I want to say first, I love your show, so I appreciate some time on it. No, Um, thank you. Yeah. My name's Carolyn Noble. I'm currently running for school board in Bloomfield Hills uh, School District, and it encompasses a lot of different areas. But my comment is just, uh, you know, we're running a nonpartisan campaign, and the local uh, Oakland County Republicans uh, watched our forum with the League of Women uh, Voters forum, it's a debate that happens uh, with the candidates who are running, and mm-hmm. they took a few of our clips, me and three others, and ran an attack ad to all the local Republican uh, individuals in our community. What's wrong with that is I have no chance to make a comment or respond to it, or, you know, it's a small, non-partisan campaign, so... It makes it very difficult, and they broke the rules of the uh, League of Women Voters forum by taking just little snippets of what we said and make it into a, you know, scare tactic.
0: So, so Caroline, um, is, this, uh, is this an outside group, a third-party group? It's not the—or you're saying that the party in Oakland County has done this?
4: The, Republic, the Oakland County Republican Party took this—made uh, this ad. Uh, to kind of get their folks to to vote against us. They weren't really supporting any candidates, but they were saying we were candidates that they didn't want to support, essentially. Uh Yeah. Uh,
0: And and where is this ad running? Where are are people seeing it?
4: Well, uh, you know, I didn't hear about it until I went to a school board meeting. It's only on YouTube, but apparently it's uh, being given out on Facebook. Uh, to different families they're sending it back and forth so I have no way to respond hmm. to the misinformation that's in there uh, which is kind of distressing as a candidate because I want everyone to know that i'm I'm running to support every student
0: yeah. and yeah. I want
4: everyone to feel comfortable uh,
0: Caroline yeah. I appreciate the call and and that's a great story about um, you know the ways in which uh, ads get, get uh, made and, and used in these campaigns. I do want to say that if there is anyone from the Oakland County Republican Party who wants to uh, come be part of the program and explain uh, what Caroline is uh, is talking about, we absolutely would air that as well. Uh, but Michael, uh, I want to get you to re- react to this uh, before I ask Rick to, to, to talk some about it. But uh, this, is, this is precisely – uh, the problem that some candidates have, which is, that, I mean, look, a small race like that, a school board race, not, not a lot of money floating around. Uh, you can't defend yourself in, in some cases mm-hmm. against uh, bigger interest who can can spend against you.
1: Well, you know, this is a great example of of one of the other sort of derivative effects of of, out, of outside groups, but also big money, because if this is coming from uh, a local uh, a party committee, um, you know, it's uh, it's not an outside group uh, in that traditional sense. But what's what's happening in so many local races now is that big money is looking around for uh, local candidates, local races and environments where it is cheaper to get involved and bring in some of these national issues or these culture war issues into the debate um, and um, uh, and in a way that uh, didn't feature into very local campaigns. All that often. Um, in fact, as I was listening, I was struck by an example of something in, in my hometown here, or at least across the across the way in the next town over. Up in up in, I'm in Maine is a state rep candidate has been complaining about uh, an outside group coming in and attacking her position on on, on abortion. Mm-hmm. And you know, these national issues are now making their way down into local politics as the issue has become more localized. But also the people who are doing the attacks are increasingly large groups looking around to pick off a state legislator here, a school board member there, uh, playing a very long game of trying to move local politics, not just national politics, in a particular direction. Um, so it's, it's a very fascinating case, and it's, it's an example of how candidates who are just people who want to make their communities better, uh, Democrats and Republicans, are sometimes facing these headwinds from uh, larger uh, organizations who uh, see their campaign as uh, a part of a larger battleground. Uh, And so it does make us think about, well, what do we do in response to that? How do we give uh, uh, tools to candidates or resources to campaigns uh, uh, to get their message out? And how do we encourage a positive message and all the kinds of things that we care more about so that we, um, uh, we, we don't see more and more candidates being overwhelmed by messages from uh, 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 larger organizations with a, a lot deeper pockets.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so Rick, uh, that was the, mm-hmm. the, the the part of this that I wanted you to talk about is. You know the 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 interest that the parties have in in nationalizing even these small races like for school board. This school issue is really hot in Michigan right now, and it goes hand in hand with the school library issue, which has been school libraries. It, don't don't know.
2: forget the kitty litter caucus,
0: <laughs> right, right, which uh, is the group that was claiming
2: that uh, um, that that students were being encouraged to be furries or something right, like that,
0: right. um that, I mean. Uh,
2: Oh, that that it was that schools are providing litter boxes for students who identify as as furries which is which is bunk I mean I don't want yeah to it's not it true a um, iota of, of fact to it um and I know that in Oakland County um Senator state Senator Jim Runstead, who's a Republican has been very active in in recruiting uh, school board candidates so that might be where you know the the earlier story from your caller was uh, was talking about
0: yeah so but, but this 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 effort to to inject that into the into the these races is you know of course aimed at at winning more more seats uh, but we're seeing that in a way that we haven't I feel like we haven't seen in other cycles here in Michigan well school
2: boards are are technically nonpartisan but you know as we've often said here Stephen. you know you you cannot take the politics out of politics right and so you know that that you know that they run um very often as coalitions on tickets uh we've seen that in ann arbor where i live And um, so, you know, there's naturally going to be a fusion between political parties and people running for political offices, whether they're explicitly identified as as partisan or not. And look, school board races in, in this environment have just become quite hot that these are not sleepy races where someone wants to, you know, come and serve a a few terms on their local school board, be, you know, be part of the solution. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's just, they've just become raucous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've got about a minute uh, left. Michael Franz, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about uh, maybe places that uh, have approached this in a way that, that tamps down some of what we've been talking about. Uh, this hour. Has anyone figured this out?
1: (laughs) Well, I don't think anyone's figured it out, but I I do think that there um, you know, there's there's rules we could put in place that are exist in some states to require a bit more transparency and funding. Um, Some states like my state of Maine has a clean elections program uh, that gives cash resources to candidates in exchange for uh, raising very small contributions um, uh, there's been debates about doing that at the national level. And you could imagine encouraging some strings to go with that in terms of, um, you know using those resources for positive messages only. Um, you know, there's lots of things that you could consider doing. Um, but I do think more transparency and giving voters more tools to understand who's sponsoring, these ads and messages mm-hmm. is really, uh, to me, a really uh, positive uh, reform that would, uh, it would give citizens more, uh, more to go on. And that's really important, I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael Franz and Rick Pluta, it was great to have both of you here with us to discuss this issue. Thanks so much for joining us Thank on you. Detroit today. Thanks so much. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. We're going to come back tomorrow and have a little talk with Governor Gretchen Whitmer about her re-election bid. We'll also talk with Congressman Dan Kildee about why he thinks he, too, should be re-elected into office. Also, a little note, again, that we have extended an invitation to Tudor Dixon, the Republican nominee for governor, to come on and discuss her campaign. We would love to hear from her before uh, the, the November 8th uh, election. This is 101.9 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.